0: Welcome to the Responsibly Different mini series exploring the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, helping you set meaningful goals in 2023. of time, bright future in the nick of time. Welcome to the Responsibly Different mini-series featuring the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. In this episode, Brittany and I will be discussing goal number 13, climate action. As the United Nations states, take urgent action to combat climate change and its impacts. In this episode, we are going to share insights from our past conversations with certified B Corps, Patagonia, Trip Zero, Native, and the nonprofit 1% for the Planet. All of these organizations are dedicated wholeheartedly to climate action.
1: We're all seeing the effects of climate change every day, whether you see it when you turn on the news or you're experiencing it firsthand as you step outside your home. The UN estimates that medium- to large-scale disasters will increase 40% between 2015 and 2030. Energy-related CO2 emissions increased 6% in 2021, reaching the highest level ever. We won't labor this point. Instead, we're going to focus on the ways certified B Corps and their partners are leading the way on climate action within the business community.
0: Founder Eric Zimmerman shared with us in episode thirty three his journey in sustainability and how it inspired the launch of Trip Zero. Trip Zero is a travel company that focuses on big conferences and events. When you are planning that next gathering of change makers, Trip Zero is the team you can go to to supply big blocks of hotel rooms for your event. They then take the commission that they earn from that, measure the carbon footprint created by predominantly everyone's travel to that event and erase it for free by funding renewable and reforestation projects through the purchase of certified carbon offsets. Here is Eric sharing his sustainability journey to launching Trip Zero.
2: I'm on a bit of a sustainability journey, um, and it started for me, I think, back in 2007. Um, I was actually running a big book business at the time. I was a publisher for 20 years. And we had just acquired another publishing company, which was in the home improvement uh, book publishing business. I got invited by their editor-in-chief to go to, of all things, a conference. And it was a conference on green building. So we flew down to Atlanta, and we were listening to the keynote speaker. And he was a really smart, sharp author by the name of Eric Corey Freed, who had just published a book called Green Building for Dummies. And he gave this impassioned talk about climate change and how it was going to impact sort of every living thing on the planet. But at the end of this thing, um, you know, he pauses for a minute. He says, look, my biggest fear is that my daughter's generation is going to grow up on a destroyed planet. And they're going to look back on my generation. And this is a guy about my age. And they're going to say, you guys knew. And you didn't do anything about it. What the f- was wrong with you? And so we can't say that about my parents' generation. We can't say it about my grandparents' generation because they didn't know. But we know. And it's on us. And we're probably the last generation that has an opportunity to really to really bend the curve here. And that comment really hit me. I, I sort of felt like I was in a lo- alone in a room of a thousand people uh, with a spotlight on me. And it, it stuck with me. And as as I was as I was flying back, um, the irony of that strikes me now, um, to, uh, to Boston, I, I got to thinking about sort of where I could have an impact. And it you know, immediately became clear that the place where I could probably have the biggest impact was in my business. Um, you know, We were a big publisher. We we're also a really big manufacturer of books, you know, those things that are made out of trees. Um, and that, that juxtaposition struck me. I got back, I, I, I pulled a team together, an amazing team, and we started to address this question and to make a long story a little less long, uh, we invented a program whereby we began to book uh, print books on post-consumer waste recycled paper, and it had never been done before, um, which has a whole host of benefits, including saving trees, preventing methane emission in landfills, water savings, electricity savings, all these great things. Uh, and then we developed a methodology that we shared with the entire industry about how to do this, and an education program that we put in all the books that we published. So we were educating consumers, and we were educating the industry in the process. And it was In 20 years, hands down, the most rewarding work in publishing that I've done.
1: Whoa, what a cool side story. Didn't know Eric Zimmerman came from a book publishing industry. I feel like that side story in itself is climate action. Eric identified a problem with the impact his business was having on the planet and then took steps to reduce that impact and educate the rest of his industry. I think we all can appreciate his thoughtful leadership. Eric is going to share how his personal journey to understanding his footprint then led into Trip Zero.
2: Sort of on the strength of that, my my wife, Abby, and I started talking about what we need to do ourselves, right? Because, okay, we'd sort of done some work at work, at work but what, what to do ourselves? And we embarked on a project to turn our house into a zero energy house. So we did this, uh, what's called a deep energy retrofit. So the roof came off, the walls came off, all the windows came out. It was all replaced with super air ceiling, super insulation, um, new new triple pane windows with all these fancy gases in them. And the upshot is we reduce the energy consumption on the house by eighty percent. And then we put enough solar panels on the house to run the whole house and run two electric vehicles. So I now drive a solar powered car every day. So I thought, okay, I'm a good guy now, you know, I've sort of done it, right? Check and check. And then I bumped into, you know, I, I would like to say I stepped on the rake. So I read this article, in um, the New York Times, about the, about the carbon impact of the travel industry and flying. And I went and I did a retroactive calculation of my business travel. And it turns out that my business travel was producing over 50 tons of CO2 a year. Now, to put that in perspective, the average American citizen creates about 18 tons a year, the average citizen of Europe, eight tons a year. The average citizen of India, one and a half tons a year. So here, Eric, you know, Mr. Green guy, was pumping 50 tons a year into the atmosphere based on my flights. I, was, I wasn't the solution. I was public enemy number one, right? Um, and it was, it was right on the heels of that that I, I bumped into another thing. And this is the good part of the story. Uh, I bumped into these projects called called carbon projects or carbon offset projects. They're these amazing projects. They're all around the globe. There are thousands of them. And they're designed to do one of two things: either prevent CO2 or to from being emitted into the atmosphere, um, or to cause its reabsorption from the atmosphere. So the simplest example that people think about is like a reforestation program. We plant trees, and we all remember from high school biology, those trees pull CO2 out of the atmosphere, they store it in the wood, they store it in the soil, and you know they create that environmental benefit and, uh, you know, sort of a host of others. And I sort of, I sort of put that travel problem and that that carbon offset solution together. And I thought, well, what if we could start a travel company that would address these two things at the same time? And we launched Trip Zero basically on the strength of that idea. It wasn't long after we launched and we launched a, a direct consumer business that we started to get calls from conference organizers, um, And that's how we stumbled backwards into the conference and events and festival business. And that's now where 98% of our revenue comes from.
1: Just goes to show you an idea to start a business can come from anywhere. I like how Eric started Trip Zero in this roundabout way. One thing we know just from working in this space is that not all carbon offsets are created equal. And there are some less trustworthy businesses out there capitalizing off of the boom in this industry that might not be having the impact we hoped they would. So we asked Eric, how do you know who to trust in the carbon offsetting space?
2: What you wanna look for are the right standards. So um, there's the the verified carbon standard or what's called VCS, there's the gold standard, um, and then there's the CAR standard or Climate Action Reserve standard, which is a California standard. Now there are other good standards, but those are considered by those of us in the industry to be the absolute highest bar. and so I would look for projects that are certified to one of those standards, in the offsets that you're buying. And then further, I would suggest, and i you know just shameless plug for a, a fellow B Corp uh, up in Vermont, Native Energy. And there are others, so I, my apologies to other B Corps that also retail carbon offsets. But Native Energy in Vermont both develops carbon offset projects and they resell carbon offset projects that others have developed. And so they're a fantastic additional layer on this whole thing because they really look under the hood as they as they look at a project. And, you know, I think if you're if you're buying certified projects from an organization like Native Energy, you can check that box and move on to, you know, onto the next thing. You've done the right thing.
0: So naturally, we reached out to Native. And in episode 40, we spoke with Claire Lafave, their manager of client strategy to get to know Native a bit better. Here is Claire sharing the origin story of Native. Actually, first, you're going to hear Claire explain what a REC is, or short for Renewable Energy Credit, as she uses this term in explaining the origin of Native.
3: So a REC is a Renewable Energy Credit, and it is the environmental attribute associated with one megawatt hour of power. Um, So companies like all electricity plants, whether they're coming from fossil fuels or renewable energy, are producing electricity. But the way to differentiate a renewable energy plant is that it's also producing these renewable energy credits or this environmental attribute associated with those credits that companies can buy. And then that allows them to claim that they are supporting using renewable energy.
0: And here's Claire sharing the origin story of Native.
3: We were founded by four guys, uh, including our current legal counsel, Tom Stoddard. They were working at Green Mountain Power in Vermont in the 90s, and then Green Mountain Power was bought by a larger company, and they wanted all their employees to move to Texas, and our founders were like, we don't want to move to Texas, we want to stay in Vermont. So... um, In 2001, they decided to launch their own business in Vermont focused on uh, climate action. And they were all really excited about the developing renewable energy market, but they knew that renewable energy projects generally cost a a lot more than new fossil fuel projects. And so they wanted to figure out how to fill that gap. And there was, at that time, a new commodity developing the Renewable Energy Credit, or REC which was being used to kind of separate the electricity coming off of renewable energy power plants and the environmental benefit or claim or attribute associated with that energy. And companies could purchase purchase those RECs to support the development of renewable energy and claim the purchase of renewable. So they started looking for community-based renewable energy projects that needed funding. And they started finding companies that were willing to pay upfront for that stream of credits over the lifetime of the project. And then that upfront funding would help to cover that financial barrier of investing in the project. So in 2003, they got companies and individuals like Ben and Jerry's and Cliff Bar and Indigo Girls to help fund the first Native American-owned wind turbine uh, with the Rosebud Sioux tribe. And from there, the team grew and they continued to support community-based climate action projects. Um, But as the renewable energy market developed, they realized, you know, there isn't as much need for this upfront carbon financing for these projects because these are now really working in the market on their own in most cases. So they started looking at other climate action projects like avoiding grassland conversion into cropping systems and water projects. And today, we're focused on scaling soil carbon projects, other nature-based projects, and technological solutions like organic waste management, um, manure management. and.
1: What got us really excited about Native was learning about Native's help-build projects. Native is creating carbon capture opportunities that wouldn't have been possible without early funding to get those projects set up for success. Here's Claire sharing with us what makes their help build projects different from traditional offsets and why they are so important.
3: There are two different ways, probably more, but two different ways I can explain for how this works. Um, The traditional way is that, you know, a project happens, credits are issued, and then companies buy those issued credits, and they are retired on their behalf. But in, in that way, they're sort of Backward purchasing from an intervention that has already occurred. Something that we do specifically at Native is what we call help build projects where companies can actually catalyze new action by forward purchasing tons from a project. And then that funding goes to actually pay for that intervention, whether that's helping ranchers invest in infrastructure to adopt improved rotational grazing practices or helping smallholder farmers in Mexico afford a Small scale biodigester to avoid methane on their farm. So, that upfront funding goes to help cover those things. And then the credits are issued and retired on behalf of that individual supporter during that help build period, which is often five to seven years, but could be up to 20. Um, and we commit in our contract to retire those credits on your behalf as they are. It's really an opportunity to catalyze something new that wouldn't otherwise happen, just this really high level of additionality in these projects. Speaking about our agriculture projects specifically, what it allows is for rather than like a lot of these mechanisms will say, okay, farmer, you make this change on your farm, you take this risk to do this new practice, to change things up, to invest in infrastructure, and then we'll Come measure the outcome. And once you've accrued carbon or reduced carbon on your farm, then you'll get a payment for that outcome. But what our project allows is, well, actually, we know there's like we, we want to share that risk with you. We want to help cushion that investment. So we're gonna bring some of those the payments for those credits up front to help cover that cost and actually help you take that leap where. You might not have if you just had to rely on maybe getting an outcome payment in a few years. You know, those upfront payments also go to help cover the soil sampling and the education and training, really creating a holistic
0: environment
3: to help make these interventions actually lasting and permanent over time. So when companies make that upfront investment, they're helping invest in creating that ecosystem of support.
1: We've now heard from two businesses centered around climate action that offer services to their customers. But what does meaningful climate action look like for a global brand producing durable and consumer products? We could think of no better example than Patagonia. You may have heard about how Patagonia's founder, Yvonne Chouinard, recently gave away the company, ensuring that 100% of profits go to fight climate change, and Patagonia does so much more than philanthropic
0: work. In episode 29 that aired in September of 2021, we sat down with Patagonia's Director of Environmental Programs for North America, Rebecca Goodstein. Here's Rebecca sharing how we all can be better environmentalists.
4: I think we're all learning about this. This is this is lifelong work. And to be better environmentalists, we have to look at how climate change and environmental degradation affect frontline communities. So it's, you can't have one thing without another. And we're looking at intersectionality and how nothing exists in a vacuum. We can make an environmental decision as a country. And it's often the folks who are closest to the problem, but have the, you know, don't have the opportunity to speak out who are affected. And so we feel like it's our responsibility to help support these organizations, to have them dictate what kind of support they need. Maybe they don't want us, you know, <laughs> maybe they just need a grant check or maybe they really want us involved and in, in speaking for them. So we're making sure that we're we're really looking at it from um, a community perspective and an environmental justice perspective. And a lot of these big systemic problems like big oil and, and things that are made on such a national decision, you know, the decisions are made on such a national level trickle down and affect
0: Some very small local communities. I want to emphasize what we just heard Rebecca say, quote, have them, these frontline communities, dictate what kind of support they need. This is so important. And as Brittany mentioned, Patagonia does a lot more than just philanthropy. They've built an entire grassroots infrastructure that connects environmental justice-minded organizations with others in the communities where they operate and in a democratized fashion. This network is called Patagonia Action Works. Here's Rebecca explaining what Patagonia Action Works is and how it functions.
4: So Patagonia Action Works is a website, and we launched it in 2018. And I like to affectionately call it our dating website because we launched it to connect the Patagonia community, so customers, employees, people who live your Patagonia stores with the nonprofits that we support. So every nonprofit that we support through a grant has a page on Patagonia Action Works for two years after they receive their grant. They have a profile page and they can post petitions. They can share articles that have been released about them. If they have an event coming up, they can post it on there. There's a donate button that goes right to the organization. Patagonia doesn't touch a cent of it. Right now is actually, I mean, it's always an exciting time for Patagonia Action Works. but <laughs> July and August, we have a campaign going on to highlight our skills-based volunteer, which is something that you can engage with through ActionWorks. So we know that a lot of the organizations we support are very small grassroots groups. They often don't have a lot of staff or a lot of funds. And so we want to be able to connect them with volunteers who have a specific skill that the nonprofit needs. So it's all kind of brokered through Patagonia Action Works through this third party called Catchafire and people like you and me can go on to patagonia.com/actionworks and say, you know, I'm I'm really good at copy editing and I love Organizations that are working to protect land in Montana, (laughs) you know, you can really like customize it to your interest. And our groups that are on Patagonia Action Works hopefully will have posted an opportunity where they need somebody to donate six hours of their time to proofread their annual report. And as a volunteer, I can go on and kind of, you know, put in my profile and they ask a bunch of questions. And then, um, that gets sent to the organization who looks at my skills and who I am. And they say, yeah, you know, we want to meet with this person and catch a fire really conducts it. Like it's a, it's a job interview in a great way. So the organization has a lot of agency to be very clear about what they're looking for. And the volunteer has a lot of you know, they're able to say, this is exactly how much time I can dedicate. This is my background. This is what I can do. And there's something for everyone, which is very nice. It's a very like inclusive way to help. There's a lot of different organizations. You can donate an hour of your skills. Or it can, you know, go up to, like, <laughs> like. there's many, like, ongoing volunteer opportunities. So we're really, it's been a huge help to our nonprofits since we started this program in 2018. And we just wanted to both show the benefits to the nonprofit organizations and to let our community members what a huge help that they can make. Um, you know, maybe they're not in a position to donate a lot of money, but they have the skill that's really helpful to an organization, which is equally, if sometimes not more, valuable
1: not being super familiar with Patagonia Action Works myself i wanted to share with you a little bit more of the background in the grant program that rebecca
4: mentions it's a 99.9% of the organizations you see listed on Patagonia Action Works are grantees of Patagonia so that means within the last 2 years they've gotten a grant from us they've applied for a grant we mostly fund environmental work and we've given them a grant, which not only is a nice, you know, financial contribution to their organization, but it comes with a lot of benefits. Being a partner with Patagonia, we want to make sure that, you know, we're not just saying, here's a check and then good luck. But we really want to make sure that we're, we're in relationship with these organizations and we can continue to learn about their successes and their challenges and to focus on a lot of this capacity building to, to say, you know, we're not only like a quote unquote funder, but we really want to do, we really want to be in partnership with you. And so what are some other ways that we can help? And that's actually where Patagonia Action Works came from. We took a survey of all of the organizations we supported and said, you know, we give you, we've given you a grant check and we've given you some product donations and you have access to our staff through activism hours. What else can we help you with? And they said, we really want to be connected with your community in a meaningful way. And so Patagonia Action Works was kind of born out of that to, to, to make that relationship easier for, um, for both our community members and our nonprofits. And um, we're really proud of our, our grants program. It comes from our membership in 1% for the Planet where we've pledged to give 1% of all of our sales to environmental organizations. And um, there's more information on our website, patagonia.com slash grants, if you're a nonprofit and you're curious about who we fund, when we fund, what we fund. Um, it's a really wonderful program. And our retail staff are actually the ones that make the decisions about which proposals to fund, which I think is amazing. Yes, it's this beautiful democratic process where the folks they're in our communities the our retail staff they live there they participate with these organizations a lot of them are already volunteering with them some of them are affected by these horrible environmental justice issues that are happening right in our community so they know much better who the groups are to fund that, than i do or you know the folks who are sitting in Ventura so they walk through the process and they decide you know these are the organizations that we want to support in our community which i think is a really a really beautiful way to have this participatory grant making in our
0: communities. Speaking of the involvement of the retail teams at Patagonia, Celine Miranda worked in Patagonia retail stores before becoming the business account manager for Eastern North America and global members at 1% for the Planet. More on 1% for the Planet later. Don't worry. Here is Celine from episode 49, sharing her experience as a Patagonia retail employee.
5: So, My background is actually in marine science. I wanted to be a marine biologist um, and just ended up working for Patagonia after college to kind of like bridge the gap between my internships and was so like blown away by the company, by its ethos, by this stance that you as a business could be a force of good for climate activism. So one of the many perks about being a, a Patagonia employee is their environmental internship program. Essentially, employees from all levels of the company are allowed up to two months away of their regular roles to work for an environmental program of their choice and continue to earn their paycheck and benefits. Imagine being a small grassroots organization and Patagonia is like, we're going to send an intern to go work for you for free for two months. And you as an intern get that experience and then get to come back and share your stories Like. It brings a more connection to the mission that we're in business to save our home planet. Um, And so I was really inspired by this program and wanted to learn more about other businesses like Patagonia, other B Corp businesses. Me too,
1: Celine. Me too. That sounds like a really great way for employees to grow as individuals and live out their values with a purpose-driven two-month internship that they then get to come back and share with other Patagonia employees. While 1% for the Planet isn't a certified B Corp, they are a nonprofit that supports the environmental giving of a lot of B Corps. Fun fact, if a business is a certified B Corp and a 1% for the Planet member, they are called B1s. We at Dergo Collective were proud to join the B1 family last year in 2022 when we became a certified B Corp and a 1% for the Planet member. 1%
5: One percent for the planet. We like to say was born on the banks of the Madison River, where Yvonne, in 2002, and his good friend Craig Matthews, they were on a annual fishing trip. Were really looking out at the ecosystem around them, taking it all in, and having this realization that businesses have a responsibility to protect the resources, its ecosystem, um, the planet that allows it to do business. Kind of like an Earth tax. And that's where they decided in that moment on that trip, they're going to give 1% of sales of their prospective businesses to protect these natural landscapes. And that was a huge commitment because that was based regardless of if they were profitable or not that year. And that's kind of how the idea started. 1% for the planet is a global organization that exists to ensure our planet and future generations thrive. So what does that mean? Um, at a high level, we certify environmental giving directly from our business and individual members to grassroots and nonprofit organizations who are at the front line of solving some of the today's most like pressing climate issues. So we're really founded to prevent greenwashing um, for our business members and pre- prevent, we provide accountability. We're kind of like an accountability partner, you know, and those certified funds from those businesses and individuals. Support a diverse um, organizational organizations collectively can be more powerful in solving our world's most pressing thoughts. Many businesses assume the one percent commitment, you know, it has to go to traditional environmental causes, right? So they won't have funds to support diverse social or equity-related organizations. But what I like to let people know is that our nonprofit network is over five thousand five hundred organizations across the the world we understand the intersectionality that exists between ensuring our planet and people thrive right and specifically being aware that marginalized communities those that are disproportionately impacted by the climate crisis you know they're they're more impacted so when we think about who we're partnering with or you know our goal is to create a kind of multifaceted approach that addresses both environmental and social causes because they're connected
0: The work of all these B Corps, 1% for the Planet, and their partner organizations is so important. We hope you've not only been inspired by this episode, but have learned a few things about different ways you and your business can engage with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goal number 12, climate action. We're going to have Celine close us out with some wisdom from one of my personal favorite queer environmentalists, none other than the fabulous Patty Gonia.
5: I would love to leave your audience with, you know, someone I admire, um, Patty Gonia. They're an incredible intersectional, um, activist and drag queen. They spoke at our global summit and left us with four lessons from a drag queen. The first is we fight for what we love. So it's all about relationships and fighting for our interconnected future. The second Come out of the closet and put on your boots. Your lived experience is your superpower. And we have a role to play in advancing equity, justice, liberation for a better future. So find the work that is uniquely available to you and put on your boots. The third, strut your stuff. Make space for imperfect action. Perfectionism is overrated. Try, fail, and try again on your journey to make change. It's not going to be perfect. And that's okay. Strut with it. Um, And then finally, find your drag family. Diversity is the most critical element for a thriving ecosystem. And we all depend on one another. So find a community to lean on is essential in taking um, essential action. The most beautiful work we do is the work we do together. Patagonia.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode about goal number 13, climate action. We know our window to avoid climate catastrophe is closing rapidly, and we must act now. The United Nations says climate change is humanity's code red warning. We must listen to our Mother Earth. Our rising global temperatures continue unabated, leading to more extreme weather. And the B Corps we featured in this episode, along with so many others, know this. They are taking action every day. In the way that they do business to hopefully change that narrative. You can help support these businesses in a number of ways too. Join them. If you are job searching, look at applying for a job in the B Corp space. If you love your job, but you're not with a B Corp, start conversations within your organization that get leaders thinking about going through the certification or actions your business can take to support climate action. And you, as an individual, You have a voice that can be heard as well, so go make some noise. Find nonprofits you can volunteer with or join a rally to ensure people know you support protecting this planet. As always, we encourage you to keep growing, learning, and talking with others about what you learned and heard here. Tune in to the next episode to learn about goal number 14, Life Below Water. As we continue this mini series on all of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. Until next time, be responsibly different.
0: Slow down it's okay Saw my own future life today. I can show you too I like got a bright future. In the of time bright future and This episode was hosted and produced by yours truly, Ben Marine, and Brittany Angelo. We purchased this music from the amazing B Corp Marmoset Music. You can check them out at marmosetmusic.com. To learn more about us, visit responsiblydifferent.com. And to learn more about our parent company, visit diragocollective.com.